Well, I know uh, everyone has already welcomed you online. I want to do the same. Thank you for joining us. I know this is a little different for us and maybe a little bit awkward, but we hope and we have prayed it is a great experience for you. I know we have some staff here in the room as well, and our kids are here. And so we're so glad that you're joining us, whether you're by yourself, whether you are with your family or with your, you are with your small group. It really does mean a lot for us. And we want to encourage you, keep meeting in your small group this week and next week. And I'm just going to say it because everybody else is saying it. This is crazy. This is just crazy. We have no professional sports. We have no school and no toilet paper. I mean, this is just like getting super crazy around here. So it's the obvious, and I want to just say it, it's crazy. And here's what I know about crazy times. Crazy times can many times bring crazy fear. So many people scared about different things, and maybe you would say, well, I'm not afraid. Well, maybe you have two of its cousins because fear has two cousins, worry and anxiety, and it's kind of like stepping stones. There is the worry of a poodle dog worry, there is anxiety, and then there's a fear of a pit bull fear, and this is just kind of where we land. And I read something uh, last night, as a matter of fact, just in case you want to know if you have the symptoms of worry anxiety or fear, because you might not know, this might help you out. Here are the symptoms. If you have headaches, muscle pain, tension, you can't sleep, you sleep too much, tightness in the body, especially in the head, neck, jaw, or face, chest pain, ringing in the ear, excessive sweating, shaking, trembling, cold chills, hot flashes, accelerated heart rate, redundancy, Redundancy, numbness, tingling, deep personalization, deep realization, upset stomach, nausea, shortness of breath, dizziness, feeling faint, feeling like you're going insane or kicking small puppies, you might have anxiety issues. I'm like, I did all of that this morning. I mean, I definitely have anxiety issues. And this is just kind of where we are as a society. This is uh, unprecedented. We've never seen this before in our world. So I want to talk to you about fear, about anxiety, and about worry. I really do believe God has a lot to say to us, but I think it's important to define it as well. How would you define fear, anxiety, and worry? I think if we were to put a definition down, it's an emotion that we feel. It's a real emotion that we have. And maybe we could fill in this blank when it comes to helping define it. I will, I'm scared that I will lose blank. I'm scared I will lose blank. It's what anxiety says. It's what fear says. It's what worry says. The question is, how would you fill in the blank? I'm scared I will lose my normal way of life. I'm scared I will lose my health. I'm scared I will lose my marriage. I'm scared I will lose my kids. I'm scared I will lose my financial security. I'm scared I will lose my sanity. I'm scared I will lose my life. You know, life comes with fear. It's a scary thing, this, call, this thing called life. And here's what I know that's true for you and it's true for me. In those moments when times are crazy and out of control, we all have a tendency to fear. And you know, it's a great slogan that is said over and over and over and over in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this is the one command that's mentioned from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament so many times. And if you're familiar with church, you already know what the slogan is. You already know what the verse is. And it's real simple. This is the phrase, do not fear. God says it over and over. 
Jesus said it, demonstrated it, and even taught it to his followers. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Now that phrase fits well on t-shirts. It goes great with coffee mugs until chaos happens and you start losing control. And then the fear of you might lose blank as well sets in. And then we start questioning, God, what does this mean for us? God, what does this mean for you? Where are you in this whole thing? Well, I love this story that I want to share with you. It's a great story. It's found in actually two chapters of the Bible, in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 4. And it's an awesome story about the followers of Jesus in a situation, this is important, they were very familiar with. They were fishermen. And if they weren't fishermen and that wasn't their trade, at least they knew about fishing. I mean, this was like the, the, the way of life for them, fishing on a lake, Sea of Galilee, very familiar with the lake itself. And in this moment, though, in a situation, in a place super familiar with, everything becomes chaotic. And this is a story, again, maybe you've heard, maybe not, but I want you to pay attention to it because I think God has a lot to say to us. In Matthew chapter 8, here's how it begins. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he, talking about Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a ferocious or furious um, storm came up on the lake and the waves swept over the boat. I mean, you have a storm of all storms. You know, some storms come gradually, you can see them coming. Other storms come suddenly. This storm came suddenly. And when this storm comes suddenly, so does the fear that comes with it. So much so that waves are actually coming over the side of the boat, filling up the boat. Now, here's what's interesting. I told Valerie this uh, this morning, that last night I'm looking at, over the message, I'm looking through the verses, and I wanted to know what was the word storm? So fascinating. You know, Matthew could have used a lot of Greek words for this word storm. He could have used tempest. Um, in our version, it says storm, nothing wrong with that storm, uh, that word of using storm, but that's not the word he actually used. The word he chose to use to describe this moment of how they felt and what they experienced was the word seismos. It's the word that we use for seismologists uh, uh, of, 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 of trying to identify earthquakes and how strong they are. This is the word he chose to use. Uh, seismograph measures how strong earthquakes are. As Matthew is thinking, trying to describe this moment for them, he chose the word seismos, the lightning cracks that just would send fear down all over the back of our necks with our hair standing up, the waves that are crashing against the boat. This is the word he chose to use. Now, here's what's interesting, though. I looked up the word just to find out, did he ever use it again in the book of Matthew? And the answer is yes. He used this same word four different times in his book. So fascinating when he chose to use them. He chose to use the word seismos, this earthquake, this life-shattering moment at the cross. So that you would know when he died for your sins, you would never have to be scared again of your past with him. He chose to use it at the resurrection. That when Christ came he died, rose again. He would conquer your greatest fear of life, which is death itself. So there's nothing to fear. 
He chose to use it again at the second coming of Christ that this would be a seismos kind of event so that Christ would come back for his own. So you do not have to worry about your future. It's fascinating that God would want you to know, Matthew would write it down. Don't be afraid when it comes to your past. Don't be afraid when you feel like you're facing death. Don't be afraid at the end times. It is crazy times. I don't know if it's the end times. And now in this story, he's telling us, even in the day-to-day craziness storms of life, do not fear. And when you continue reading the story at Matthew chapter 8, verse 24, interesting, but Jesus was sleeping. Like it started out well, you know, seismos, that's awesome. Do not be afraid. And then when you read, but Jesus was sleeping. And here's what's also interesting. Mark chapter four adds something to this sentence, but Jesus was sleeping. It says, Jesus was sleeping, comma, on a cushioned pillow. It's like, not only was he sleeping, he was really comfortable sleeping. Like he is out sleeping. Now, this phrase, but Jesus was sleeping, let's just be honest. This is why a lot of people leave church leave religion and walk away from their faith. They prayed a certain way during times of chaos and storms and Jesus didn't come through for them. They asked him to do something in the times of life when they needed him the most and it appeared that he was actually sleeping. And this is good news for all of us. God knows how to use storms to not only teach us about himself and the way he wants us to live life, but he knows how to use the storms of life to actually pull us closer to him. The disciples scared out of their mind in a storm that they have never been in before, not this type of storm. And yet Jesus knows how to use this storm to bring them back. And I believe God knows how to use this storm that we're going through to possibly bring you back to him because this is a great story as well to remind us you're not alone if you have ever felt like Jesus was sleeping on you, not paying attention to you. This is the story that we look at to say, whoa, 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 whoa. even the first followers of Jesus, they not only imagined him sleeping in the storm of their life, they saw him sleeping in the storm of their life. We can take great encouragement to go, we're not alone when it comes to storms that we feel like we're losing everything. And it's what it says. But Jesus was sleeping. Verse 25, the disciples, because he was sleeping, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, exclamation point. And here's what Mark adds. Don't you care if we drown? (laughs) Now, again, I love how this statement reads in Greek. Because in Greek, here's really what it says. Matter it not to thee, we are perishing. (laughs) It's like Yoda's in the boat now. And this is a crazy story. Matter it not to thee, we are perishing. I mean, this is like, but it's so good. Matter it not to thee, we are perishing. That's the word that's actually used. Not drowning, but perishing. You know why that's important? Here's why that's important. Perishing simply means it's happening slowly, but it's happening. Water's not just coming in the boat, it's continually coming in the boat. And they know the inevitable. They're believing the inevitable. We will drown. It's just a matter of time. And their question is the same question we ask. Don't you care? Don't you care? Like, aren't you watching my retirement? Don't you care? Aren't you watching my job? Don't you care? 
Aren't you watching my marriage? Don't you care? And this becomes our dilemma with Jesus many times because we wonder, do you really care when the world is losing its mind? I'm scared to death. Don't you care about us? Jesus' response, verse 26, he said to his disciples, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, Jesus has asked a lot of questions around the disciples and to the disciples. If you're a disciple right now, you are saying to yourself, Jesus, you've asked a lot of questions. That could be the dumbest question you have ever asked us in your life. What do you mean? What, what do you mean? Why are we so afraid? I mean, with all, with, with all due respect, Mr. I can walk on water. We can't. Like, we can't walk on water. This is what mortals do. This is what human beings do. When you are drowning in life, you get scared. And if, by the way, if you weren't on your Tempur-Pedic pillow, pillow, you would actually know that, that this is why we're scared. We're drowning and we're standing here soaking wet. We look like we've been through a, a washing machine. Our sail is completely torn. We've lost part of our boat and it's filling up with water. What do you mean? Why are you so afraid? This is what happens. It's a cause and effect with us, Jesus. Jesus' response, you don't have to be afraid. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? In other words, I love this phrase, you don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. You don't have to worry even when everyone else is worrying. In this moment, Jesus is trying to explain to them the normal way of life for me and for my followers is that when all chaos is breaking loose, you do not have to fear. You don't have to make the connection between life is falling apart and we are perishing. This is perishing. Relationships are perishing. Life is falling apart. And so we need to be afraid. Jesus separates the two in saying to us, you don't have to make that connection. Now, this is so important. This is so important. When you read their story, Jesus continually puts them in this situation, trying to show them the distinction between you don't have to be afraid when all hell is actually breaking loose around you. You don't have to live that way. Here's why. He knew he would be handing off to them the greatest message in the entire world. In the midst of chaos, you can have peace with me. When you're facing death, you can actually experience life with me. It's the gospel message. Regardless of your past, listen, guys, you are going to pass this on to other people. You're going to pass this on. It's greater than a cure to a virus. It's a cure to a person's soul. And you are going to face moments in your life when you are going to doubt. God, <laughs> nothing seems to be in control. Are you really in control? And I want you to know I'm always in control. When no one seems to have peace, God, how can we have peace? Are you asleep? Or are you watching? And he continually did this with them so that they would build their faith in him, not in their ability to control the situation. You don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. So verse 26, here's what happened. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Now, what happens in the heart of the disciples in this moment, 
is a life-changing moment for them. If we could just kind of grasp exactly what they said, exactly what they felt in this moment, this is the game changer for all of us right here. When they said it was completely calm, the next verse, verse 27, the men were amazed. Mark actually uses the word terrified. It's a word of fear is the word that's being used. The men were amazed, terrified, and they asked... (laughs) What kind of man is this? Answer, super, superman is, is that kind of man. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, here's what's fascinating. Just hang with me for just a minute. Matthew actually takes, and Mark takes, the verb and the noun of fear and put them together. And they flesh out something that they're trying to explain what they felt in the moment. And literally what it means is this. They feared a great fear. In other words, the storm scared us. But what this guy has done and in his presence, there is a fear we have never experienced before. It's like even the winds obey him. Watch. And we don't obey him all the time. Even the waves listen to him. And we don't listen to him all the time. Who is this man? Their fear of the circumstance was overridden by the fear, the respect, the awe, the honor of the one in the boat with them. Here's how I wrote it down. You overcome fear by being overwhelmed with him. This is the whole point of the story. This is the whole point. This is why Jesus actually set the whole thing up. You know, was he asleep in the boat? I don't know. Maybe it's like parents where he just kind of eye open, you know, this is going to be really good to watch. I mean, but it was all a setup so that they in their life when facing any storm of chaos, things are perishing. They are losing in the midst of the storm that they could set their eyes above the storm And you overcome fear by being overwhelmed with him. Now, there's a guy in the boat by the name of Simon Peter. Now, we're not told who actually said to Jesus, wake up, don't you care, don't you care, don't you care. We're not told. I'm just guessing it was him. Simon Peter was always the first to jump out there, say something dumb. Foot in mouth syndrome. He made promises he couldn't keep over and over. I mean, this was him. I just think he went down there, shook Jesus and goes, excuse me, excuse me. Don't you care? Now, what's interesting is when you followed Simon Peter's life, they would go through other situations where their faith would be tested and they would get an F for fail. And then Simon Peter would make a promise to Jesus. I'm never going to leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always going to defend you. And then Jesus would be arrested, be nailed to a cross, and Simon Peter would know, I didn't keep my promise, and I failed again. And the shame and the guilt, the Bible says that Simon Peter actually went out and wept bitterly because of what happened. And then three days later, Jesus would show up having Starbucks with them. It was crazy. And they're sitting there talking with Jesus. And there was this moment that Jesus restores Simon Peter. 
And there was a moment where Simon Peter experienced something he had really never experienced before. Not this way, not personally. He had seen it. He had watched Jesus do this with other people. But personally now, that he would experience grace and mercy and love from Jesus himself. And a restoration back to life. A wholeness given back to him. And then years later, Simon Peter would sit down to write a book of the Bible called First Peter, creative names back then, First Peter. The entire first chapter of First Peter is Simon Peter explaining how good of a father he is. You can trust him. Even when the situation's crazy, you can trust him. You're, you're his child. You're an heir to Jesus. And God loves loving you. He loves it. The whole first chapter is about your identity with him. And then right before he ends 1 Peter chapter 5, maybe he's reminded of this moment where maybe, maybe, maybe he was the one going, don't you care, don't you care, don't you care. And right before Simon Peter ends the, his chapter, his book, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7, here's what he says. Cast all your anxiety, your fear, your worries on him. Why? Because I've come to realize he cares for you. He does care. After all I've seen, all I've witnessed, all I've experienced, he really does care for you. And I love that a fisherman would use something so practical like a fishing rod to say, just hook your fear, hook your anxiety, hook your worry. And when you let it go, let it go, cast it all on him and then cut the line. Why? He cares for you. He loves you. And he loves when his kids who may experience fear, worry, and anxiety come to him to say, I want a better, a bigger, a stronger perspective of who you are in this moment. He loves showing himself to be a heavenly father who loves loving his kids. That's why I love in Psalm 118, verse 6, here's what it says. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Why will I not fear? Because there is one with me that is greater than my fear. Why will I not be afraid? There is one with me greater than my worry wiser than my anxiety. And in the moments I feel like I need to be in control, I am reminded I'm never in control, but there's one who is. And he made me a promise. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my heart away from you. I know how to guard your heart to guard your mind so that in the midst of chaos, you can have peace. This is his promise, but more than just a promise, this is who he is in this season of all of our lives. That's crazy. But he offers not only peace in the midst of a storm, he offers himself. And we can overcome fear by being overwhelmed with him. I want you to pray with me right where you are. Maybe if you're as a family, you're watching this, you might just want to 
hold hands. If you're a small group, you want to hold hands. Maybe you're by yourself. It's okay. How would you finish this sentence? Jesus, I want to be honest. I'm scared that I might lose Is there anything you're scared of losing right now? My retirement, my relationships, my job, my kids, my sanity, my life. And maybe in this moment you would hear him say, I love you. I've always loved you. Storms will come and go, but I never will. Maybe hear him say, I see you. I know what's best for you. And I'm asking you to trust me. Shift your trust, not in yourself, not in anyone, but to me and me alone. God, I'm so grateful That church is not a place and it's not an event. I'm so grateful that church is a group of people trying to follow you the best way we can. That when we read about who you are, what you can do, the promises you've made, we can shift our allegiance, shift our trust into you. And it's in that moment where you have said, There is a peace that will guard our hearts, our emotions, and our minds from running crazy, trying to figure things out. And we can have peace with you. Because as Simon Peter, who experienced the storm, but who also experienced you in the storm, said, we can cast all, all of our worries, all of our fears, all of our anxieties on you. Why? Because you really do care about us. Even though the circumstances may say different, you care, you love us. So during this time, we put our trust in you, our faith in you. We put our eyes on you so that we would be overcome by who you are, not overcome by our fear. That you really are a way maker. You know how to make ways when there seems to be absolutely no way at all. It's what you did for the disciples. It's what you continually did for the disciples. And God, we believe you will do that with us. So God, thank you for being that kind of God in our life. You are trustworthy. You are in control. You are loving. So we surrender to you. In your name we pray, amen.